What up, Danny? Yo, what's up, Tyler? What number is this? 142. Dude, I asked you like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Completely forgot. Anyway, whatever number you just said, episode of Fried Squirms. <laughs> 142, that's what you said, right? Yeah. We're getting so close to 150. It's right around the corner. And today, we will finally... Finally, I don't... It's not like people have been clamoring for it, but the movie got huge. And we hadn't watched it. So we're going to finally talk about The Conjuring. Because we finally watched it. Twice. Based on our true story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you said that. (laughs) We're going to talk all about all sorts of things about The Conjuring, I think. But before we get there, how was your week? I was pretty laid back for the most part. Didn't do a whole lot. Like, just still recovering a little bit from the holidays. Did... Mm watch a few extra movies this week so i snuck those in which was fun some of them been on my radar for sure and uh yeah so i just did that didn't do a whole lot outside of that for the most part How about yourself well interesting story so we record monday everything's great the next day i get a text from zach the co-host of general nerdery go check out general nerdery at yourvroom.com and he's like yo dude just inject yourself some vitamin C because me and Yui are puking. Oh, no. And I'm like, no. But then Tuesday I felt good, and I just loaded myself up with, like, all the stupid shit I could just to be like, no, don't get me. Wednesday felt good. Thursday felt pretty tired. Went and hit the gym. Was still feeling pretty tired after that, but didn't think anything of it because I just hit the gym. Went to work about an hour and a half into being work puked yeah i've been pukey for like three days out of this week fucking sucked thanks guys <laughs> no i don't blame you guys the fucking zach you knew we don't listen to this anyway but <laughs> no, no, <that's> <laughs> no i don't blame them it would have happened anyway because it's that time of year and we work way too much with the public so that is especially true in our field but that's how the week went i'm feeling great now because i've had all weekend to recuperate because that was back on like thursday or something so I've been good for the past like day and a half now, but that was the week. Well, I did come across a few articles, of course, that pertain to the show as far as horror news. And I'll lead off with a couple of different release bits. And one of those involves a Snoop Dogg starring horror film. You might have heard of it. It's called Bones. It is the tale of Jimmy Bones. That's right. Blackest Night, Hardest Stones. I'll roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. But it is finally coming to Scream Factory on Blu-ray. So, what? Yeah, for those who are curious, it is being released on March 31st of 2020. And uh, yeah, man, it's one I've seen a couple of times. I haven't watched it in a while. But yeah, it's got a little bit of a cult following. So that's going to be pretty awesome to see it. Motherfucker, yeah. I might buy Scream Factory Bones. Yeah. Like... All right, well, check this out because this is another Scream Factory release. But for those who are and maybe are not familiar... Scream Factory is also releasing the 1973 television film Frankenstein: The True Story. So it did originally air as a part of a two-part miniseries. Its release date is a week prior to Bones, and that's going to be March 24th of 2020. I did read that it had a pretty incredible cast. It includes Jane Seymour. It also had Agnes Moorhead, Michael Sarazen, James Mason, and Leonard Whitting. And I said it's pretty faithful to Mary Shelley's unforgettable story. So for those who are wanting to get their hands on it, it looks like it's going to have a nice little Blu-ray release there. All right, the next little bit of news I found out, and this is kind of interesting. This is 
a future release, but there is an Argentinian film made by Santiago Fernandez Calvetti. It's named uh, Verloc Blood. And it's kind of interesting because we've talked a little bit about the Verloc. Yeah. Yeah, so this, of course, is based on Alexei Tolstoy's short story, The Family of the Verloc. He said it will be screening. It's a work in progress, but it is going to be airing at this year's Ventana Sur Blood Window, which is a genre sidebar. So if you're around that area and you want to check this film out and you want to know a little bit more about Verlocs, here's your chance. All right, the next bit of news I've come across involves a Stephen King adaptation. And for those who are familiar with From a Buick 8, it is finally happening, and it involves Thomas Jane, who's been in The Mist, which is also a Stephen King oh, adaptation. No. So, yeah, I was reading about that. It's at, um, I like Thomas Jane. He's a good actor, man. I, I do like him. But apparently Renegade, which is going to help develop and produce film, TV, games, and immersive content, is partnering with King to adapt and produce his 2002 thriller novel about a car, which is a door to another dimension. And I read a little bit about it. It's about this 1954 Buick Roadmaster that these uh, state police are keeping it behind some barracks. It's been back there for over 20 years. Apparently the town it's centered in, which is Statler, which is a fictional town, is plagued by strange and supernatural events. It turns out, of course, the Buick isn't what it seems to be. It's a crab spider. <laughs> the shit, probably. <laughs> Fucking hell. All right, moving along. For those who have seen this film, I own it. Those have headlights or deadlights? You're probably right. But for fans of Train to Busan, it is getting a sequel. It's called Peninsula, and it reportedly it's aiming for a summer 2020 release. I need to watch that movie. Yeah, I own it. Like I said, still haven't watched it. Heard nothing but rave reviews from it, so pretty curious, man. Might as well. All right, and the last little bit of news, this is a little bit of spoiler alerts for those who have not seen any of the Conjuring films, but the upcoming Conjuring... But there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a third one. Oh, the third one just got a name, right? Right, and it is being titled The Devil Made Me Do It. Fuck that name. That name is so dumb. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Because it's a little bit of a spoiler, the director is not returning, who we'll be talking about in a little while. It is going to be directed by... Did Juan do the first two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the person who directed The Curse of La Llorona, Michael Chavez, is directing the third one. That does not give me hope, because I heard that movie was not good at all. I kind of heard the same thing. But you know what? I'll probably lay off a little bit until I actually watch it, but I have heard that too. I'll lay off. I'll say that I just heard, and not that the movie is definitely not good, but (laughs) I just heard from some people that I tend to trust their opinion. I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that pretty much rounds out like a little bit of news that I ran across that that was interesting and kind of the stuff we've been up to. So, yeah. I don't really have anything. I was going to say the Conjuring thing, and even that slipped my mind by the time you got around <laughs> to it. And yeah, let's just talk about the Conjuring. Let's get into the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts. Spoiler free. Who and what went into the movie? Start off spoiler-free synopsis. Fuck, I should have thought about this a little bit harder. Family moves into a house. Things start getting weird. So they call in the world's foremost demonologists based on a true story in big air quotes. Yeah, (laughs) big air quotes. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good brief synopsis of what this film entails. 
course, you mentioned we like to talk about our cast and crew. And this week, I'm going to lead off with our director, who we've actually talked about before because he was a part of a little project called Saw <laughs> that we covered way back. But we're talking about James Wan. And James Wan's also known for directing such films as Dead Silence. You might have seen his film Death Sentence. He's responsible for directing Insidious Part 1 and 2. He's also directed The Furious 7. You might have seen the follow-up to this film, The Conjuring Part 2. Aquaman. He did Aquaman 1 and the upcoming sequel, Part 2. And he's also responsible for the upcoming Insidious film called The Dark Realm. So, looking forward to that. Writers are a brother team of Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes. They're known for writing the screenplays for such films as The Dark Side of the Moon, which is an actual Unearthed Films release. Which is kind of neat. It was more of like a, a recent release. Not a part of their extreme end, though. They're also responsible for helping on the Beast Master television series back in 1999 through 2000. They've also helped write for the House of Wax and The Conjuring Part 2, which is pretty cool. Our cinematographer, pretty interesting guy, John R. Leonetti. Now, when you start looking at his filmography, it's like, shit, we grew up watching. So some of those things include... Child's Play Part 3. He's also the cinematographer on Hot Shots Part 2. If you've ever seen the film The Mask, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Do you know how many times I've watched Mortal Kombat and The Mask? Dude, I had both of those on VHS. So that's back in the day when I didn't have much else to watch. You know what I mean? Understandable, yeah. He's also responsible for DP work on Detroit Rock City. Love that film. Joe Dirt. The Scorpion King, the film Honey, Welcome to the Jungle, Piranha 3D, Sidious Part 1 and 2, Annabelle, and the movie The Silence more recently. So, like I said, pretty interesting guy, really cool credits. Editor is Kirk H. Morey, and he's got some really cool shit too because when you look at his filmography, the things he's edited, you can go back. He's helped uh, edit such things as... Hellraiser, Inferno. You might have seen his work on Children of the Corn, Revelation. He helped with uh, the Prophecy films, Uprising and Forsaken. The film Feast. The film Pulse. The Hills Have Eyes, Part 2. Yeah, Part 2. <laughs> Piranha 3DD. Insidious Chapter 2. Furious 7. Like I said, some really cool shit. More recently, Aquaman. Wait, and, 3DD? Yeah, 3DD. And Aquaman. Yeah, and Annabelle Comes Home. So done some work in this universe all right the music was composed by joseph bishara he's also an actor in this film too so some of the music that joseph's composed for films involve his work on the films night of the demons which is the 2009 version he's helped on 11 11 11 the film insidious the film dark skies insidious chapter 2 the segment for vhs viral it was called gorgeous vortex He's helped on Tales of Halloween, the segments Trick, and Friday the 31st. The follow-up to this film, The Conjuring Part 2. He's helped on Eli Roth's History of Horror documentary, which is really good. I uh, still have one episode to go on that. I need to watch a little bit more of it. But some of his more recent were on Annabelle Comes Home and The Curse of La Llorona. So, like I said, he also plays a part I'll mention here in a little while. Uh, the special effects were done by Fractured Effects. They helped with the special makeup effects, and Pixel Magic helped with the visual effects on this film. This was produced by Rob Cohen, 
Tony DeRusa Grund and Peter Safran. The production companies were New Line Cinema, they helped present, and the Safran Company and Evergreen Media Group, they were helped with the production end. The distributor was Warner Brothers, they helped with the 2013 United States theatrical release. The release date was here in the States, July 19th of 2013, and had an estimated budget of about $20 million. Opening weekend, it made $41.9 million. Which is good enough, but... Yeah, check this out. So it grossed here in the States $137.4 million, and if you add the cumulative worldwide, $319.5 million. Off of 20. Off of 20. Yeah, they did good. And this was the start. (laughs) All right. It does have a tagline, and that tagline is Evil Loves Innocence. Wait, and that's a good point. This was the start because off of this we have other conjurings. Yes, we do. We got the Annabelles. Yes, we do. And the Nun. And the Nun of varying degrees of goodness from what I've heard. I've heard, like, if you like this one, that number two's just as good as this one. I want to reserve my comments for that. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would kind of believe being James Wan again. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so moving along. The cast of The Conjuring, and I want to lead off with Vera Farmiga. She plays the role of Lorraine Warren, and if you look at Vera's catalog of films that she's been in, she was pretty much known, and this was kind of like one of her breakthrough roles was for the film Up in the Air. She got nominated for a Golden Globe, SAG Award, BAFTA Award, and an Academy Award for that role. I think of her because I've seen her in Bates Motel, a television series. I don't know if you ever get down with that or not. Yeah, she's got some other really cool roles as well. I think she uh, she reprises her role as well in The Conjuring Part 2. Moving along, it's somebody we've talked about before, but he plays the husband to Lorraine Warren in this film, and that is Patrick Wilson. We've talked about him on Bone Tomahawk. I think of such films as Hard Candy. He was in Watchmen. I think of him as Night Owl. Yeah, he was also in the Insidious films. Too. And especially right now, since like the Watchmen has been super on my mind. Yeah, completely although, understandable. Although Dan hasn't shown up yet, though they've mentioned where he's at. So Nice, dude. I also think of him because he was in the FX series Fargo back in 2015. Mm. Yeah, I killed it in that, man. Some people might know him in Aquaman as well, which is pretty cool. And he's voiced the President of the United States yeah, in fucking... Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Ocean Master. He did a good job as Ocean Master. Yeah, dude. Um, Vera, I can't believe I didn't mention when you mentioned Vera. She was just in the latest Godzilla. Oh, yeah, man. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Like, so she's been in some really big blockbusters. All right. One of the actresses that I'm glad is in it because she's a really cool actress, and I'm talking about Lily Taylor. She plays the role of Carolyn Perrin, which is the start of the Perrin family, so I'll go ahead and tip that off. But if you look at some of the films that she's been in, she's been in some notable indie films, such things as Mystic Pizza. She was in a John Cusack film, Say Anything. She was also in I Shot Andy Warhol. When I think of her, she was in the film The Addiction, which is a really interesting vampire film. She was in Six Feet Under television series as well. Highly uh, recommend. High Fidelity. Yeah, High Fidelity. Like I said, really cool actress, man. I think more recently she was like in Hemlock Grove and Almost Human, so some people might know her for those roles. All right, moving forward, we have Ron Livingston plays the role of Roger Perrin. He's the dad in the family. And when I think of Ron... He's fucking Peter Gibbons. Yeah. He's never not going to be Peter Gibbons. How can you not think of that film, right? Fucking Office Space. Office Space is such a great film. And that's, I think, 
probably the earliest role I remember him from. Right. Band of Brothers is great. Yep. He was in Swingers Adaptation, which is awesome. He was also in Both Boardwalk great. Empire. I've seen him in Little Black Book. <laughs> Pretty it, good rom-com. It doesn't matter because he was in Office Space. Yeah. Forever etched. <laughs> Moving forward, we have Shanley Caswell. She plays the role of Andrea Perrin. And uh, when you look at some of her credits, mostly some television work like NCIS, New Orleans, more recently from 2014 through 19, such films as like Detention, Haunting of Fraternity Row, Alt Space, and Half New Year. All right. Moving forward, we have Haley McFarland. She plays a role of Nancy Perrin. She was in such films as An American Crime. You might have seen her in the television series Lie to Me. That was back in 2009 through 11. She was also a part of the Sons of Anarchy television series from yeah, 2013 through 14. the last couple seasons. Seasons. I now feel dumb that I didn't recognize her. I have long stated my love for Sons. But as soon as I saw I was like, oh shit, yeah, that was Brooke. Okay. And then I was off of that. <laughs> No, that's cool. That's a pretty decent role. Mm-hmm. All right. The next actress we have is Joey King. She plays the role of Christine Perrin. She was in such films as Quarantine. She was also in the film Battle Los Angeles. She was also in The Dark Knight Rises. You might have also seen her in Oz, The Great and Powerful. She was also a part of Fargo, the television series, back in 2014 through 15. More recently, she's been in such things as Slender Man and the television series Act. Right, we have Mackenzie Foy. She plays the role of Cindy Perrin. She was in such things as The Twilight Saga. She was in both parts uh, one and two of Breaking Dawn. She was also in the it's film. fucking Renesmee. Yeah, she was an you interstellar. T- all you Twihards that listen to us. <laughs> yeah, like I said, she was an interstellar and also in The Little Prince. Moving forward, I have Kyla Deaver. She plays the role of April Perrin. And the only other role of note that she was in, she was in the film Before I Wake. Shannon Cook, he plays the role of Drew Thomas. He was in such things as Degrazi, The Next Generation. That was a television series back in 2010 through 11. He was also in the film Dark Places. He was in A Christmas Horror Story. And he reprises his role in The Conjuring's Part 2 and the upcoming Part 3, which is really neat. I have actor John Brotherton. He plays the role of Brad Hamilton, who's the officer in the film. He's been in such things as One Life to Live. That was a television series from 2002 and 10. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was also in Furious 7. And more recently, he was in the television series Fuller House. Did you see who he is in Furious 7? I did not. So the cop in this is the guy that's a stand-in for Paul Walker. Oh, no shit. <laughs> Damn. Never forget, when, bro. When they need, like, blurry Paul Walker in the background. <laughs> Gotta do it, right? <laughs> Oof. It happens, man. All right. The next actor I have is Sterling Jern. She plays the role of Judy Warren. Now, she's been in such things as World War Z. She was also in the film Dark Places with Shannon. She was in the film Conjuring Parts 2 and 3, so she reprises her role as Judy. And more recently, she was in the television series Divorce from 2016 through 2019. Right, moving along, we have Marion Goyat. She plays the role of Georgiana Moran. She was in such things as No Holds Barred. She was also in Remember the Titans. She was in the television series Stand Against Evil. She was in Black Lightning television series from 2018. There's a couple of other actors that were in this real briefly. I'll just 
kind of breeze of them. I did mention that Joseph Bishara was the music composer. He also plays the role of Bathsheba Sherman. We have Morgana May as the role of Debbie. So this is like the three students at the beginning of the film. Amy Tipton played the role of Camilla. Zach Pappas played the role of Rick. And one other person is Steve Coulter. He plays the role of Father Gordon. Some people might know him because he was in the House of Cards television series as Mitch Scanlon. He was also in The Wizard of Lies as Martin London. And he's probably more well-known as Reg or Reg Monroe mm-hmm. in The Walking Dead. So, yeah, um, that rounds out our cast and crew. Bishra... Oh, you already mentioned he did the the music for the. Never mind. You already mentioned everything I was going to say about we it. We high. <laughs> Never mind. You might have said it, and I might have just been like lighting the J, and not paying attention. But he was a producer on Repo Genetic Opera. Oh no, I didn't mention that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which is fucking dope. So yeah, that's a good film, man. I enjoy it. I just wanted to point that out. I know people out there would like that. But no, you're right. He is a producer as well. That's pretty awesome. It's weird because I think he might have been a music producer on Repo, huh? But it's a musical, so well, he yeah. was a producer. It makes sense. <laughs> Regardless, right? Nice, but yeah, like I said, that rounds out our cast, our crew. You gave well, us a synopsis. Mm-hmm. All right. So warnings. It's a lot of spooks. There's not much blood and gore. I mean, there's a little bit, but not much. It's not reliant like, on very, it. very little. Yeah. They cuss a couple times. Yeah, We've times. already cussed more times than they do. I think you're right. <laughs> it tends to happen. She said shit at least once, for right. sure. Huge disclaimer, though. If you're not comfortable with films that involve possession and spirits and things like that, then you're not going to like this film. Right. If you already have an issue with the Warrens, you won't like this <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a huge skeptic, <laughs> you're probably, yeah, probably seething right now. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's before. I mean, I might be getting ahead of myself, but I think that's kind of the warning for it too. Is like nothing it does is really over the top. No, it's what it's PG thirteen, right? No, it's actually rated R. How is it rated R? All right, we'll talk about that in the next section. Well, how is it rated R? <laughs> I would have bet money that this is PG thirteen. Because I was about to say it, it earns its PG-13. <laughs> no, it is rated R, and that kind of blows my mind. Okay, we're going to get to the next section, and we're going to discuss this. <laughs> this is firmly a PG-13 movie. I would definitely this hit is, that ball. This is firmly a PG-13 movie. Easily. Yeah, considering all the films that we cover. I was, like, to a certain extent, I'm like, this movie's kind of, like, low-key Christian. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, dude. Spoiler. <laughs> Uh, that might be a slight spoiler, nah, but, this, but this movie is like low key Christian. It kind of is. Like this dude, movie real. embraces being Across. like a PG thirteen <laughs> horror movie. Yeah, that's gonna be fun talking about next. Like, how is yeah. it? How is it R? We're gonna get to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how does that make you squeal? All right, we just talked for like two minutes off air, but explain to the people. Like how this ended up being R. All right. Also, I'm gonna say right now that if this movie would have been rated PG-13, that number would have been even more ridiculous. This movie would have made 650 million worldwide. Oh, probably easy. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, assumed that that number was because it was PG-13. I I know, right? There's a reason why James Wan, who's the director, of course. So this movie made a shit ton of money. Yeah, for, made all for the money up against. But I think you're right with the argument that. 
he was actually pushing for it to be PG-13. And he even had to edit some of the film down because the initial thing was they wanted it to be right at it like a two-hour film, which it pretty much is, but that's without the credits. Anyway, they even pared it down to kind of tone down the film somewhat. And from what they gathered was the ratings board gave them a rated R because of the scares, not because of the blood and violence and stuff of that nature. is because it's a scary film. James Wan is better than most at jump scares because I'd say a lot of the scares in this movie are some form of jump scare, but none of them felt cheap enough that I necessarily wrote them down. Right. Because I've called out before. I, I think yeah, if in you the have past, a cheap like, jump scare, it's like, eh, you didn't need to do that. He's good at setting he's them tasteful, up. James yeah. Wan is good at what he does. So I want to get this out of the way right away. Because I feel like this is going to be one of those movies that it sounds like I like a whole lot less than what I do. One of my very last notes, but what I want to talk about first, is the overall feeling that this movie left me with was that it was a movie that made me super pissed off <laughs> that Netflix changed to the thumbs up, thumbs down system. Because I don't want to give this movie a thumbs up. I want to give this movie like eh. a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a solid rating. But I only give thumbs up on Netflix to movies that are like 85%. Yeah, like stellar. Yeah, because that's what I want Netflix picking out for me. Yeah, because it's an algorithm. You know what I mean? You don't want to be messing with the sauce. And I, (laughs) this movie, there's maybe only two things that I actively dislike about this movie. And there's a lot of neat and cool things about this movie. And neat and cool are both positive. Right. But they're not wow or holy shit or oh my god. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, something that gives it that extra oomph. It's overall a good movie. I overall had a good time watching it. But, in, but that's about it. Knock your socks off. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way about this film, which that's okay. I mean, it earns its rating for the most part. But there's things where I was like, ah, oh, you guys could have gone a different route and it would have been slightly better than what we get but that's not like not not a discredit because i think you were hinting at it much earlier i think this was toned down for perhaps a larger audience with certain uh religious overtones in mind so first off somehow we had both avoided this movie to this point too for you did it not come up on your radar because i actually no i remember when the film came out Mm -hmm. but during that time period not that was long ago but I think my view of films like this, like possession films, I'm like, oh, there's a kind of dime a dozen, and it looks kind of cheap. I mean, you know, then that has a lot to do with the marketing of the film. But in my mind, I was like, ah, oh, it's probably going to be a cheesy-ass, seen-it-before kind of film, you know? No big deal. So I kind of avoided it. Also, kind of is. Yeah. But not kind of, not but in a I know bad what you're saying. Way, I know but... what you're saying, yeah. So that was my initial impression. That's why I avoided it for a long time. But knowing its success and the people associated with it and some of the films I've seen since that time period too, like I've given films like Insidious a chance and things like that, you know, and other films that we, that we normally don't watch. So I'm not disappointed that we watched this because actually there was things about this film I really enjoyed. Like I was actually getting into the film at times. And then there was things that pulled me out. I'm like, oh, man, you almost had me. <laughs> like, I was thinking if I had been much younger, this film probably would have affected me a lot more 
for certain reasons. But yeah, typically I don't really go after films yeah. of this nature, like the yeah. paranormal kind of shit, you know? Ghosts are a hard sell for me. Likewise, to be quite frank. It's hard to do ghosts in a way where I care for them <laughs> or I, I where understand. things make sense enough. Same with possessions, too. Like, possession tropes are all over the place, and it's more reliant on jump scares because eventually you get to the point where the beings are powerful enough that it should have been done from the get-go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's some logical things that just doesn't Which, you know, work. I brought up a little bit in Hereditary. That movie's way better than this movie. Oh, yeah. Leaps and bounds. <laughs> Leaps and bounds. But it goes kind of hand in hand with possession and yeah there's a certain story formula i suppose yeah um it's hard to nail down power levels and what things can or can't do i know it's like ah this it's basically it's just huge tease for the most part and i think that's where some of the tension is it's having to work within certain boundaries it's like what was wrong with inside as soon as she went outside the house you know what i mean yeah it's like what are you doing this movie's called Inside. <laughs> you have to know where the bounds are to be able to create tension within those bounds. Yeah, precisely. If, if it can just open up at any time, then what's the whole point? Yeah. Anyway, I asked that mostly to set myself up for the fact that I kind of avoided this movie because of a different horror movie. Oh, yeah? In a weird roundabout way. Even though I've never seen that movie. It's just that I was online... And reading a bunch of articles when the movie came out. And that movie is uh, The Haunting in Connecticut. Okay. <clears throat> I've seen that. <laughs> also based on The Warrens. And it was during that time period that I found out all the shit that goes into their actual investigations. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> and then I knew this movie, part of the whole thing behind it was based on a true story. Yeah, which exactly. never is. First oh. off. Like you said, go watch Hidalgo. Huge air quotes. And I mean, first off, like, if it's based off a true story and it's something supernatural, you should already be like. Should be going in skeptical about it. But, man, I just wanted to bring up some of this shit about the Warrens real quick before we go into this. All right, yeah. I did a little research on them. This isn't the exact article that I had read before that let me know who they were. And to be honest, like, they also have a connection to the Amityville Horror. They weren't, like, the main researchers or anything, so it doesn't turn me off from the Amityville Horror shit as much. But they were some of the ones that still still insist that the place was fucking haunted, even though they've basically came out and said that they fucking made it all up while drinking wine. <laughs> the Haunting in Connecticut was based on the book which was the, air quotes, true story of the Warren investigation behind them checking out this family. The Snedecker family. Okay. Basically, ever since the book's come out, the author of the book has been speaking out about it in interviews. It's <laughs> crazy, isn't um, it? This particular interview that I'm pulling from is from damnedconnecticut.com, an interview with Ray Garten, who wrote A Dark Place, this is an interview a lot closer to the time period of a haunting in Connecticut, but he has been talking about this in interviews since 1992. Damn. 
So they asked him what his experience in was writing a dark place and working with the Warrens and the Snedeckers because he was like there with the family and shit. He went and like hung out with them and shit, I guess, for a bit. He's like, I was offered the job. And because I used to read of Ed and Lorraine Warren's exploits in the National Enquirer when I was a kid, I took it. I went to Connecticut and spent time with the Warrens and Snedeckers. When I found that the Snedeckers couldn't keep their individual stories straight, I went to Ed Warren and explained the problem. They're crazy, he said. All the people who come to us are crazy. That's why they come to us. Just use what you can and make the rest up. You write scary books, right? Well, make it up and make it scary. That's why we hired you. Dang. He became involved in 1991, which is years after it was supposed to happen. But that's when they were kind of starting to drum up the publicity and shit for it. Because by that time, the Warrens have been known for a long time. The guy asks, like, uh, what in particular does he not believe about their story? Why would he question them in the first place? And does he have any evidence? And he says, they couldn't keep their story straight for starters. The family was a mess, but their problems were not supernatural, and they weren't going to get the kind of help they needed from the Warrens. At the time I was with them, Carmen Snedecker was running some kind of illegal interstate lottery scam that I don't think I was supposed to find out about. (laughs) But when I did, she repeatedly urged me not to mention it in the book and not to tell anyone. Their son, around whom their entire story was centered, was nowhere to be found. I never met him. Wow. I was allowed to talk to him briefly on the phone, but as soon as he started telling me the things he saw in the house went away after he'd been medicated, they ended the conversation he was having with them. Dang. That's wild. The Warrens repeatedly told the author that they had videotape of supernatural activity, that they were going to show him, but never brought it up. He never even saw inside the house. To his knowledge, the Catholic Church has absolutely nothing to do with the Warrens in any way. (laughs) And there's questions about some of the legitimacy of some of the priests who have helped them out. Damn, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense, though. He's learned just things he didn't put together at the time, but continuing his research as he finished the book, that there was just shit they lied about. Like, that was just obvious. Like, they claimed... That they didn't know that the house used to be a funeral home. And then as he was doing interviews with people in the neighborhood, they're like, no, everybody. That's like the first thing people mention about the house is, like, oh, hey, did you know that place used to be a funeral home? Yeah. It's like, come on. The, the supernatural problems in the house didn't start until the landlord, frustrated after months of being unable to get rent out of the Snedeckers, made moves to have them evicted. Then all of a sudden the house was infested with demons. Oh, my gosh. And ever since them blowing up their story with the Warrens, that gal has actually went on the same sort of path and saying that she has the fucking gift and <laughs> senses spirits and shit. That's wild. Go figure, right? But I think those earlier quotes from Ed Warren sort of tip off what they do. Yeah, I think so, man. However, I will say, as I read more about them from other sources too, it seems that this guy didn't have a great time with it and he's been telling the same story for 20 years straight. And I think at times things get a little bit exaggerated because all the other accounts of people meeting with Ed before he passed and just Ed and Lorraine together make them seem like a lot nicer people than he comes off in that quote. Yeah, I know you're saying for sure. Yeah, I mean, you do. But that doesn't mean that they weren't pulling that sort of shit. You can be nice and pull that sort of shit. Of of course, it's they had a good con going for a bit. One of the things to me, it's like, why would you possess certain things? Like, 
trinkets. Keep them in a museum in the open. I was going to bring this up. Like, fucking at least put them all behind glass. Yeah, and then until people don't touch them, it's like, come on, man. So you can't ever trip in that room. No, it's a setup. (laughs) That whole room is a setup. (laughs) They know your natural inclination is to want to touch things, and they leave them in exposed with the threat that they'll cleanse you. All right, so here's the other thing. Can't burn those things. We're going into this, and at this point, there's a Conjuring universe. Right, right. I had never seen it before. 30 seconds into this movie, I'm like, oh, they're doing this fucking doll right away, aren't they? Yeah, they did. Right off the bat, so you get Annabelle. I was not expecting them just to open on fucking Annabelle. No, which right off the bat, I was like, oh, okay, that's immediately how it's connected. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. Like I said, so I've done reading about the Warrens in the past, which led me to kind of avoid this movie, because anytime anything's based on a true story and it's not exposing them for frauds. Yeah. You're going to have a problem. But, I mean, I knew little bits of their story here and there from all that shit. Annabelle, I think, is like a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which I really wish they would have went with that. I know, right? They recreated it because it's like, it's fucking... Well, first, because it is patent. I read a little bit about that. The guy who created it, his name's Johnny Gruel. He's a known huger, so that was kind of neat. But you're right. Initially, it was just a, a Raggedy Ann doll. <laughs> yeah, I had a Raggedy Andy when I was growing up. Yeah, I think most kids our generation know about Raggedy Ann and Andy. That would have fucking tickled me pink, though. Like, somebody... In the future, somebody needs to secure the rights and remake... Annabelle with the fucking Raggedy Ann. That would be awesome. And just make it creepy. You can do it. I'm sure you can. All right, so what I don't like about this opening scene... So this opening scene is one of the few things I don't like about this movie. For a couple reasons. One is, why do this opening scene that is kind of charming when you get the payoff in the classroom and shit, Mm -hmm. and is a really good introduction of the characters... And then why do you then follow it up with a text explanation? Yeah. Is it in that first text explanation that's like the first almost like Christian name check? Like call out? I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly. Because I think still down low that like this movie's almost... I mean, I went to a lot of years of youth group. This movie is almost like youth group compliant. 100%. Damn. I went to a lot of years of fucking youth group. Like I'm talking about as somebody who did this shit, this movie can pass, which is what really stood out to me about it, which is why I would have swore it was fucking PG-13. <laughs> That's awesome. The other thing, though, that I don't like is they call it out in the beginning. Annabelle is a different case. It's demons, yep, not spirits. So all the rules that they just set up for Annabelle don't mean jack for the rest of the movie because they're talking about something different now. Right, right, right. It's because now, because the rest of the movie, we're talking about actual spirits. Yeah, completely. Not different. demonic forces. Yet, apparently, they can ring each other up, which... They got the hookup. <laughs> we'll get to that shit. <laughs> right, they got the hookup. So you're Otherwise, right. I thought the overall payout of the scene, though, was charming. Like, even with me not liking it, there's something positive to be said about that scene. I read a little bit about the whole legend of toys or dolls and things like that being inhabited by spirits. So that some of it goes all the way back to the legends of something called Robert the Doll. 
and also a Twilight Zone episode. It was called A Living Doll. It says that was the character of the mother, coincidentally, was named Annabelle. And this happened five years prior to the Warren story about these nurses, right? So I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Right. <laughs> that's a coincidence. <laughs> In hindsight, like, they couldn't have known it was going to blow up as big as it did. But it almost seems like almost every Annabelle thing in this movie is put in just to set up a bigger universe. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of And like, I don't boom, think that's is. the case, though. Like, they're making this on a budget of only $20 million. There's no way they knew it was going to blow up as big as it was going to. Even if they knew that they had something on their hands, they didn't know it was going to do that. You know yeah, what I mean? and that's probably, like, spawn off. But I think they knew that they had a bunch of stories because of the cases. Because of the Warrens, yeah. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me, though, that for them, it could have been like, we're going to hang something here and see if it does anything. And if it does, cool. If not, it's okay as well. No big deal. But I think, yeah, there could be motives for that. But you're right. It, after they put Annabelle away, it has a, a significance later on. But it's like, <laughs> like that's kind of weak, man. You're just going to keep it in a room for safeguard, keep the genie in the bottle, as they say. Then we get on to the family. One of my favorite things in this movie is when they move into the house and that camera move through the house and you see all the playing and see everybody moving and then you move into the backyard and see the entire family and all them interacting. That was actually really fucking cool. That's a good shot, yeah. That was really cool to the point where I wanted to bring it up. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, basically all I wrote about that is just, you know, you get how they discover the cellar, you know, playing like hide and clap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one of the girls or First two clap. girls, pop, pop. <laughs> but yeah, you're cheating. But the whole point is, is like they discover the cellar. Ron Livingston goes down there, checks it out. You see, like, there's been some shit covered up. Looks pretty old, you know. And then eventually, it the classic signs of ghosts and spirits and things like that. It gets cold. You hear knocks. Really, I really thought they were going to play him in the basement for a jump scare when he went quiet for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I actually really appreciated the restraint of having him casually just move back into frame and be like, oh, I, I guess I found some shit down there. We'll, we'll check it out more tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. No, it was good. I mean, there was parts that I liked about a lot of the character. I mean, the, the actors themselves and the characters they portrayed. So as we get the intro to the family in the house, they christened the house that night. Yeah, they do. That's one of the things I wanted to point out. It cuts out at the exact right time to be, like, youth group appropriate. And it's between a man and wife. Mm-hmm. So it's legit. So it's legit. <laughs> right, right, right. Because there's allusions to her bruising being caused by the previous and engagement. That was my next note. I'm like... Did you do this Girl, like... I'm sorry, but he's not dicking you down good enough that you would forget banging your fucking <laughs> shit that hard against something. Yeah, you would think. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't believe that that's going to come from... <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> Although they do have a lot of kids. Five girls. He apparently is a fucking coxman, so... All right, all right. I see it now, I guess. But my initial note was like, fucking office space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is funny, man, because one of the films I watched him in was over the weekend. I mentioned I watched a few films. So he was in The Man Who Killed Hitler and the Bigfoot. Oh. With Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It was a pretty decent film. 
I was like, oh, this is going to be I've a Ron Livingston weekend. Yeah. Because uh, Comedy Central was playing Office Space this weekend, too. So I was like, oh, go figure. Oh, dope. <laughs> Do you think the Twitching Bird influenced the R? Trying to think back on it. The first one that he runs across. And the other ones aren't know. shown long enough for anything. Yeah. Other than maybe the one that's kind of stuck halfway through the window. But <laughs> even then, it's not like you're seeing like bird guts. You know yeah, I know. Mean? No, no, no. Snapping their necks, apparently. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out this fucking R, dude. This doesn't make sense to me. Like I said, most of it is because they say because of the scares. And I think when we were talking off air, to me, the only thing that would make it plausible is like so some of the content. The hanging? Yeah. The, like, the suicide? Like some of, yeah, some of the subject matter. Like if, if they're gearing it towards kids who are like 13, some kids might not be comfortable with that subject. I, I guess it's mothers killing kids. Yeah, I mean, it's some heavy stuff maybe i should have put that in the morning but fuck it yeah but that's the only thing to me that would make sense but then again it's like you're kind of teetering on that though because i I don't know but they always catch her before it gets any further than an american martyrs level oh yeah (laughs) yeah you know what i mean yeah it only goes to a certain point then it backs off it's literally the same differences i do want to really praise James Wan, for another thing, he knows most of the time, 98% of the time, when you can cut away from something and then cut back to it changed, but it feels natural. Right. You know what I mean? But it allowed them to do a lot of practical effects. Yeah, for sure. There were very, very few digital effects in this movie, which was really cool. And it wasn't the sort of thing where I was like, oh... I know why they cut away. It was just so that they could change the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, oh no, that was a natural reason to cut away with the way he's presenting the way things are going on. You come back, okay, oh, wow, yeah, no, okay, it works. He kept he kept the flow going, which I think is a hard thing to do when you're working with ghost stories sometimes. Yeah, like, I think you're right. Because shit just appears a lot of times. But when the fucking thing jumps off of the wardrobe at her, and then it just cuts away is exactly the difference in Martyrs between us seeing her vision slam her against the fucking everything and really fuck her world up. (laughs) And the American version with her arm getting caught before we actually see her fucking dig into her arm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? They're making all the same changes where, like, if you just flipped it to the French version, to the French extreme (laughs) version. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? You would hope it would go somewhere beyond what you've seen. Who knows how many times prior to this shit. The cut away when the fucking ghost jumped off the fucking top ropes really pissed me off, actually. (laughs) Where the girl gets attacked? Yeah, I'm like, you're going to cut now? We don't get to see an attack? I know, because that looked good. It was kind of By this point, you've already put it in our mind that this is actually going on. But the way that the next scene is played is like, was it all in her head? Because she's just thrashing on the ground. Yeah, what's But we're like, no, we know this is going on at this point. Right. We've seen the insides. You've made that clear. You're calling in the Warrens. We know what's happening. So don't go back and play us dumb now. (laughs) Just show us the attack. And they actually have to get up there and open the door in time. And then because ghost rules, it disappears anyway. Watching this film, too especially at home, I was like, man, there's a few moments in this film where I knew this was geared towards a theater audience as opposed to just being at home because of some of the jokes they were trying to throw in, sprinkle in. It's very much for casual audiences and not 
in a demeaning way. No, no, exactly. It's like it's meant for that little bit of comic relief because it's typically it sets you up for the things to come, some of the mm-hmm. tension. It relieves you a little bit just to build you back up to that tension again. But I'm like, it doesn't land for me. <laughs> it's like that's like kind of like, wah, wah. but I, I get it. It's geared towards a theater. Was I actually supposed to be scared when you weren't showing me a fucking thing in the blackness behind the door and it was just the little girl describing it because it wasn't doing anything for me? Yeah, she's just freaked out. If you would have gradually seen, like, a face or something? Yeah, nothing. Nope. Just shadows. That being said, the mom in the wardrobe and then the hands coming out beside her head and clapping was fucking killer. (laughs) Like, that was a really well done jump scare. There's some good little scare. All right, and this is getting back to had I seen this film, you know, at a much younger age, it probably would have spooked me a little bit. If I would have seen this 13 years old with my youth group, I would have wondered why they didn't put on fucking Dead Alive instead because those were the guys that introduced me to it. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know what I'm getting at. It's like at a certain age, some of that's the superstitious kind of nature mm-hmm. of the world around you. It's like you're more gullible at a certain age is what I'm getting at. So you're more likely to be spooked by this kind of stuff. But then after a certain point, it's like, I know this is just a film and a lot of this shit's just like, <laughs> it's not a big deal, man. Especially, you know, if you don't really have any reason to believe in it in the first place outside of just superstition. So... Yeah, what I'm getting at is, like, this film has its moments where I'm like, you know, Juan does a good job setting up the scares, you know, the spooks and all that shit. But then it backs out, and then it gets watered. I want, not necessarily watered down, but it does get toned down. And I was like, ah, mm, you could have had a good one, but you went light. My next note is a lot simpler, but it, it made me think, especially because thanks, White Widow, and thanks, Obama. <laughs> But I mentioned before that one of the things this movie does well, but also kind of keeps it kind of stagnant, is it falls into all of the tropes that we've seen from Possession and kind of ghost supernatural type stories for years. Yeah. In really familiar ways. James Wan, I keep wanting to give him props because he did keep me interested in this movie where a lot more than I thought. Like I said, I'd give it three out of four stars. Yeah, it's like it's not a bad film. It's, uh, not, it's a well-crafted, good story. Just eh. But I think one of the things, the Warrens being involved and them, their stories being popular for so long and having inspired so many different movies and works over the years to reinforce those tropes, it kind of ended up making sense that it would fall into those tropes because if it's a story about them, they were the ones making it in the first place. Right, yeah. That whole thought right there came because my next note was fucking upside down cross in their goddamn footage of their last exorcism. The upside down cross is a Christian symbol. <laughs> Every fucking time I see that in a fucking exorcism movie. You're like, come on, man. Or like for something satanic where it's supposed to be real Satan. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah. like that's a Christian symbol. <laughs> that's the cross of St. Peter. Because well, he didn't want to get crucified the same way Christ right. did. That's the thing. It's like, not a lot of people know the history or know what they're preaching. <laughs> so they're more susceptible to certain things, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at, too, is there's a lot of things that, for me, it's it's like... Or Paul, was it Paul's cross? Who got crucified? Was it Peter or was it Paul? Paul was the apostle. 
Who was Saul? He was the one who spread the word to the Greeks. Anyway, one of them got crucified upside down because he didn't want to get crucified the same way as Christ. Uh, Peter found the rock. <laughs> the rock. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best biblical movie of all time. <laughs> Replace Peter with the rock. Although it would be kind of a spoiler just through metacasting. but I don't know. I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? But... Like, so for me, I kind of view this film like this. Growing up, like, I believed in a lot of this kind of shit. And then it came to a point where it's like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> it, you kind of feel like a sucker, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to buy into it because it seems larger than life. And then it's like, man, how long have people been doing this? And, like, if this were concrete, it would be like... I don't There'd know. be whole I mean, it, fields of study. Right, as I'm saying. You'd it, be it'd taking be this more, as college courses. Yeah, it's like it'd be more a part of, of the norm, I suppose, you know, as a, the paranormal. It'd mm-hmm. be normal, I suppose. I was going to say, some of the other investigations on the Warrens, like even the photographic evidence that they have, is mostly just evidence that they aren't professional photographers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like I enjoy the stories and, you know, it's just... It makes for good stories, right? You know, if nothing else, like I enjoy a good bit of uh, folk tales and and lore and you know the boogeyman and things of that nature. But there comes a point where it's like, ah, man, I'm an adult, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh... Yeah, I think so. I think the possibility for the truly unexplained still exists, but for the most part, ninety nine point eight percent of the time. It falls more in the realm of just because you can't explain it doesn't mean there's not an explanation. Right, right. You can't just slap something big on it and like, yep, that's what it is. And if you go into a situation trying to prove something, you're probably going to find that. Yeah, exactly. And Especially if you're going into a vague enough situation to begin with. And especially if you're going in hiring an author and telling them you make scary books, right? Make it scary. <laughs> Well, it worked. <laughs> Can't blame them. But, you know, the way that this film plays out, too, you know, I did some research. I'm sure you you did, of course. It's kind of what we do. But I looked into, like, the real parent family okay. that this film's about. And one of the sisters, the older sister, Andrea, so she was 15 at the time that all this happened. So there are some, of course, differences between the story that we get in the film and the actual story that is told. So I listened to some interviews and did a little research. So the house itself was built by the Arnold family in Rhode Island. And they built it in like 1736, I believe, which is like 40-odd years before the Revolutionary War and all that stuff. But point being is the story that they tell the uh, Perrin family from this girl's perspective is that they moved in in the winter of like 1970 actually January of 71 because of the snow and all that stuff because of the holidays. But they lived there for 10 years and they said they didn't really get contacted or they contacted the Warrens until 1973, right? Where this Mm -hmm. film says it's 1971. So they said the things that were happening was their mom was doing a lot of research, like extensive research about the property because apparently in Rhode Island, they don't disclose who the former owners of property was and what happened there, regardless of the nature of, of the estate. So long story short, 
you know, they talked about some of the things that happened that were similar, like, you know, feeling dips in temperature and, you know, noises, etc. But the whole point of like the mom being possessed, that never happened. <laughs> they said what happened is they brought a medium in and mm-hmm. they performed a seance. They said they it didn't happen in the cellar. Yeah, so they it happened in like the dining room or whatnot, and apparently it went wrong. Is what they said, like the the person, the medium, or whatever, they let in a demon or a spirit that they didn't mean to, and it went wrong. And from that point, to be there for ten years, too, to think about that from yeah from them doing it in 1973, and you stayed there all the way till June of 1980. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Right. <laughs> it's like, if that shit is that spooky, and it's fucking you with you that bad, you know, and you've got evidence to back it up, it's like, man, you got to get the fuck out of there. Just raise it and try again. <laughs> oh, man. I do want to point out that I would love to fucking, if some of this shit were true, but... I would love to see it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know if I want to see, like, demons and stuff quote-unquote, if it was for reals, for reals. But it's always exciting to think about the possibility. But the reality is, is like, man, it's so minuscule. Mm-hmm. If it, if at all, it's not even really worth it. <laughs> and if it does exist in some way, it's obviously not existing in the way that all these so-called experts say it does. Yeah, no. Because I mean, they cause... can't replicate shit. So <laughs> somebody tells you know, they know what they're doing, they yeah. probably don't. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's kind of silly, man. I mean, it's it, all of it's interesting. It is, you know, like a lot of it is just tied to history and little oddball stuff, but you know what have you. But anyway, like I said, there's some slight differences, of course, from the real parent family and the parent family that we see in the the movie. So when we get the history on the house and shit, another thing that's kind of fucked up if this is supposed to be based on a true story <laughs> is that part of the history is that Bathsheba being somehow connected to Satan beyond her awkward murder-suicide. Yeah. Rando murder-suicide. Corroborating evidence is that <laughs> she's related to one of the accused at Salem. Right. Which I was impressed that the movie got it right that they were hanged. Nobody was burned. Doesn't We went over that in the Witchfinder General episode yeah, a long right. time ago, but you were hanged. Just due to what you were actually charged with, you know, in law. Yeah, they were snapping necks. Yeah, they weren't burning you at the stake. But we know that that was all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So why does that lend credence? You know, just to beef, <laughs> just to beef it up a little bit, I suppose. When I got to point this out when they're going to throw out based on a true story. Well, like, I was like, if, if why gonna, does this give this credence if we know that that's bullshit? If you own a fetus, you got to make it big, right? <laughs> but you're right, man. It's... It's like that's what I'm getting at. It's like it's it's nice to want to believe in that shit, but when you know it's like there's nothing to it, it's like ah man, it's, it's almost like hocus pocus in a way, you know? Yeah, I'm getting really worked up over a movie that I overall enjoyed. <laughs> no, I, like the film itself is fine, but I mean the overall tone and the themes and shit, it's telling a different story from this perspective. It's like you were saying, it's like man, this is like borderline like pro Christianity and. All that's it, you know, and that's fine and dandy if that's what they're wanting to pitch, but... But I'm not sure that was the intention. Right, either. right, right. But the real Lorraine warns, like, big time Catholic, and she, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, yeah, that's the one thing that, you know, like, she's very stern about. So, I mean, she's already coming at it with certain 
ideas about these kind of things, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't need to tell you, you already know what I'm talking about. Well, the point being is, it's like, you're already coming at it with a certain bias and a certain set of ideas and things that don't necessarily lend its hand to the real world, just what you kind of are immersed in. I also, I want to thank this movie because this movie introduced me to uh, While You Sleep by Dead Man's Bones. That song is dope. Nice. I don't want to point that out. That's uh, the song that plays when they do the fucking montage while they're setting up all their equipment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was fucking killer. And then just a little bit after that, you have the sheet coming off the clothesline and then plaster against the house. That's a really good shot, man. That was fucking killer. Yeah. I mean, as far as the film, yes. The film has some really cool shit in it. Like, I really did like that shot a lot. It's like, that's good because the the storm's kind of rolling in. You know something sinister is about to happen. And they did it well. Just the outline into the window and then the walk. And then even when it pans, it still has that flow you were talking about. Because mm-hmm. the next shot is you get to see Carolyn starting to get the bruises. And then the possession, the blood in the mouth. I thought that was pretty decent. Spooky a little bit. Oh, I do want to point... The blood coming out of the eyes looked fucking terrible. Yeah. I was like, man, they use Mario paint. <laughs> and I'm like, did you have to reshow this footage later on? This just didn't look good the first time. Yeah, it didn't really look good. Just fucking reference it. <laughs> oh, I did read, though. That because they shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, the guy that was in that footage that they showed at the universities of that guy who had, you know, Maurice, I think they said his name was Morris, whatever. Mm -hmm. The guy who played the priest was actually like he's a professor at UNC Wilmington. So they let him because he's like a a part of the philosophy and religious studies department. Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of neat that they they threw him in there. He knew some shit, I I guess. (laughs) I feel, oh man, I kind of feel like I'm being nitpicky with this one because movies do it all the time. But I do feel like Vera's going to get a bit more fucked up by that slide down in between the fucking Dude. walls and then crashing out the brick wall than she did. I know. She First, she finds the noose. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a sad. I was like, man, I don't, I don't wish that on her, but it'd be kind of cool if she like got hung up in it somehow. Yeah, don't wish that on her. Kind of makes a little bit more sense. Maybe not. I don't know. But I mean, I know what they're saying. It's, you know, it, it fits the motif of people being hanged as like, that's a motif people were, that's the, the mode of death, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I feel like I'm being nitpicky. Movies do that shit all the time. Yeah. But I don't know. That didn't seem like a fun time crashing down through that shit either. No, that shit's old. Into and a, then plus a you're cellar. landing on all those fucking bricks. That's the other thing I'm thinking. That's like, going to hurt. You're bruising yourself just with the landing, not just with the fucking slide down. Yeah, I don't care. That's going to hurt like a mother sucker. In the second God floor, damn it. yeah, that's a good drop. After the fucking vision and all that shit, there's no connection between Bathsheba and Annabelle. Why would Annabelle be terrorizing their fucking kid? All right, the only thing, I know what you're saying, because the only thing that tethers them is the necklace and the locket and shit. So it, it's, it's a stretch, right? It's like, all right, Bathsheba has access to the locket that has the little girl's picture in it, right? And it's using that to tether itself back to get Annabelle out, I guess. But then that whole room, if spirits it's like, can, yeah, why not just the whole room? If spirits can do that, then just set off the entire room. Yeah, exactly. And then, then she's why a walking fuse. Why just Annabelle? Yeah. You know, in a way, it's kind of following, like you said, a trope and things like that doesn't make sense 
basically, it's irresponsible of the mother to wear that locket in the field. If it's going to cause her yeah, to have she, a connection think, with yeah, her daughter, exactly. and she is going to be extra sensitive because of her clairvoyant abilities, then she is knowingly putting her daughter at risk any time she goes in the field wearing that locket. That's like some rookie shit right there, Miss Cleo. <laughs> That's what boils down to. I don't know if in the future movie she's still just wearing that locket when she's going out in the field, then she's knowingly putting her daughter at risk. Yeah, it's like, then it becomes like, all right, I know what you're doing here. Wear it the rest of the time. But when you're on the clock, <laughs> that shit's off. I mean, yeah, why, man? But that's the only thing that makes sense, right? Because she's tethered and she has access. But then st- it still doesn't make sense for Annabelle. No, it doesn't. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, unless you're playing into, like I said, a trope or just... They set it up earlier. That's the thing I was I was getting at, too, with the Annabelle. Well, it, but it's just well, that's it, such does a she have a little bit of Annabelle in her because of the possession went wrong? The one that they showed in the video and shit. Perhaps. It could be. But even then, it's fucking stretching it. I, that's what I'm getting at, man. It's like, that's a, that's a long stretch, dude. And why is Annabelle even going to answer a fucking phone call from Bathsheba to begin with? Like, <laughs> is you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but I'm just saying, in that occult museum, there's so much more shit in there that I think I would choose before I choose Annabelle. Or just set them all off. That was my argument to begin with, right? If you're going to be there in the first place, why not the whole thing? <laughs> just that thing's a fucking powder keg. I thought I'd be like, oh shit, I got some time. Nobody knows I'm in here. I understand that they're fucking, I don't know, sprinkling holy water on the fucking powder keg every now and then. But if you're truly believing in this shit, you can't be doing that. Yeah, come on, man. That was part of my fun when I was thinking about this movie. I'm like, what would I do to get rid of these things? <laughs> I, I know. If you're blessing them and things like that, I don't know. That involves a whole different set of ideas and principles. And <laughs> How close do they live to the ocean? I know, right? Can they afford Rhode, iron lockboxes? Yeah. I would say, like, buy a fucking iron lockbox, salt and crust the inside. Yeah, why not? Throw whatever it is in there, take it a few miles offshore, and dump the bitch. <laughs> a la Dexter. <laughs> that's way better than what you're currently doing. Man, that's the probably the biggest problem I have with the whole thing is if you're going to have these trinkets, these artifacts, and demons and what have you tied to them, why leave them exposed and make it a museum that you can walk around in? What the fuck? <laughs> Come on, man. I want to see a Conjuring movie where somebody just lets in, like, somebody's four-year-old younger brother, and they just run up and down the aisles touching everything with their arms out. I'd love to see uh, uh, Bruno go in there. <laughs> Somebody just go, like, roll around in the Warren Museum, see what happens. Well, I did read up on it because I was curious, right? So because Lorraine Warren... She passed away earlier this year, actually. Oh, did she pass finally? Yeah, she did pass. And... The current owners of the estate, they've shut it down mostly because I've read that it was for zoning purposes. So they're looking for a new home for the museum, but it's currently down, so you you can't go to it right now. But it's been like that for at least the better portion of this year. I'll put it that way, from what I read. But I was like, I'd be interested. It'd be kind of curious to see those kind of things. I'm curious. Just out of like, I don't know, randomness. I'm curious how the moving company moved the shit. Did they follow special precautions, or did they just send in some guys who were just like, fuck this noise? It's like, man, are you, I guess they're paying me by the hour, fuck it, right? <laughs> Play those little fucking 
these little charades. I'm play with this goddamn toy monkey for a minute. I know. Not even the monkey. I was like, that's a little racist. <laughs> I don't know if you thought that or not. It's like, man, oof. I'm like oof, the one that. black guy in this movie you have him go for, the monkey? Oof. I know, I mean, it's it's already a little racist with the Raggedy Ann and, and shit like that, because it was part of, like, Mammy Toys and... <laughs> wow. So anyhow, yeah, yeah, there's some weird shit like that in there. But some of the acting is pretty solid, like... Nobody does a bad job. No, nobody there was does a parts, standout Tony Collette job. No, but. there was a part where Ron Livingston, when he's like, "Come on, you can do this. You got it." <laughs> like that's what are you doing, man? Your wife is possessed. Give it some more than that. So, while she's possessed and shit, everything's going on down in the basement. That's one of the scenes that really highlights to me. Like, so what can or can't this possession do? Is it? relegated to fucking basically like movie timing you do the shotgun or the wardrobe falling over at any time earlier when they're even talking and nobody will notice but those happen only at the times where people can fucking notice Uh, every time right and then it just made me think back like it makes sense to me that you know, the the creature, the spirit gets more powerful the more it feels threatened. But just having the dog around earlier made it feel threatened enough that it was able to physically kill the dog. Right, yeah. These supernatural experts have now been here attempting to eradicate it. You know that they're closing in on you. <laughs> Where's the strength? You physically killed a dog earlier. Right, yeah. Why are you relegated now to making a shotgun fall over at an extremely convenient time for yeah. everybody but you? I know. It's following all those tropes, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, ah, oh, it's just missed. Ah, oh, it's chucks. Like, the bad guy is always missing. <laughs> I can't shoot for shit. It's like that, that trope, but I know what you're saying, man. And it is a trope, and I'm railing more at the trope than I am at this movie. Right, but it does fit the trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> And it's kind of like, why in these possession movies does English always suddenly work? Ah, dude, I don't know. Like I said, it fits a certain ideology. You can explain it away, and I understand the movie not taking time to explain it away, but at some point you have to have a movie that explains it away, and nobody has. You know what I mean? Dude. And it should have happened by now. It should have been a movie that laid it out so that people can just use it as shorthand. But there's a shorthand there that has never been laid out. And when you think about it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, like I said, as a film that if you don't take it for trying to be a true story, because it the quote-unquote this story, the true story, is not on par with what actually happened to the real parent family, right? Mm-hmm. Two completely different stories. It borrows some things from the real events, but the stories are fictionalized for Hollywood and the big screen and all that shit. You know, because I guess for these purposes, you have to sensationalize it a little bit. But as a film itself, like as the film itself, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Right? But I don't buy into any of that stuff is what I'm getting at. It's like all that stuff to me. It's part of the reasons why we talked about we don't watch these films in the first place. Because it's like, man, you got to give me a better gimmick than this because you're doing the same shit. (laughs) Yeah. And it's weird because you turn this up just a little bit, and I think it's something that we're suddenly both interested in, because then at least you have spectacle to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I want some brimstone, and I want some, like... Yeah, if you're going to give me possession, you got to break past the normal 
It's a little bullshit. And it, in a way, it's gonna. I love The Exorcist, but you gotta kind of move past those tropes. We've seen yeah. that shit. Give me some really fucking diabolic shit. Right? No, I mean, like I said, it, those things kind of laid foundations, but this is a lot of stuff that springs forth if it keeps following. Or if you're the gonna do that, do it extremely well. Yeah, this you have didn't do to. it extremely well. It did it well. Yeah, it did it. it made me it happy. Did it well. Like I said, nothing but, against James Wan. Any of them. It's a well-crafted film. It sounded like, like I said, just watching some of the interviews and behind-the-scenes things I watched. It sounded like everybody had a good time making the film. It's interesting, like I said, when you research some of the stories and what they lend. It, it's interesting, but how much do you really want to buy into it? I do have one other thing that bugged me. I guess I have more things that bug me about this movie than I initially thought. But why would they take the music box as their trophy at the end? Why wouldn't they take the wardrobe? The wardrobe think... was more closely connected to the violence. The music box is connected to, to Rory. To the little boy. Yeah, who's where did he merely do? a victim in all of this. Exactly. He's the one who went missing in the woods. The reveal of Rory was really cool, I thought. I kind of knew it was coming, but even knowing it was coming, seeing him come around, that was kind of neat. No, I mean, it's good. It, like A lot of that stuff is... I like that because of the way it's crafted. It's like, yeah, you can see it coming, but it follows certain things, but it does it tastefully is what I'm kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, getting at, you know. It doesn't follow a certain cliche, you know. So, ooh, spooked up behind. I do like the fake-out spook, though. Like, that happens with uh, Lily Taylor and the little girl at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she spooks her mom. <laughs> I was like, good. Because it sets up the one later on mm-hmm. where you know that one's going to be real, so... Little things like that, little reveals. I like the fact that the guy who composed the music played Bathsheba. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the the spinning of the blood behind the the sheet and stuff. It's like I he talked about the reason he set those shots up and you know did the reveal. It's like yeah, it's it's not bad. It wasn't bad. It's like but then you turn the chair upside down and you you do this like uh, this wrestling move, a pile driver. <laughs> I was like, that's what. So, I don't know. It's weird shit like that. Then touching the mom's head. and Just remember the beach. That's yeah. what I got out of this film. If you're having a possessed kind of day... Remember the beach. Just remember a good memory. Mm, beaches. I love beaches. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like, like I said from the get-go, I feel like I shit on this movie a lot. But overall, yeah. I did enjoy it. Because everything it does, it does reasonably well. I yeah, understand uh, yeah, why exactly. people like it. It's just not quite my cup of tea. Nah. Like, if likewise. I was a casual, I understand. That's what I'm getting at. If I were much younger, this would be probably right up my alley. Like, if I were, like, 12, 13, somewhere in that range, yeah. I mean, it's perfect because you probably still believe in some of that kind of shit anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still that fantastical world of, like, oh, this is fucking crazy. Or if you're one of those people that watches two, maybe three horror movies a year because... I mean, horror movies across the board, I feel like, are designed to make you uncomfortable, whether it's through fear or grossed out. Or... Yeah, there's always some kind of factor involved, mm-hmm. yeah. And some people just get legit afraid, and that's just the way they yeah. react. I understand. So if you're <laughs> one of those people that that's, like, you watch two or three a year, this is a good one for you I, I because it's not too bad at anything. One of the things I, I do want to also praise it for, I think... Everything they brought up about the fucked up backstory of the house, they brought up in a way that sort of makes it feel like there's just a whole world of shit to be afraid of around you. 
even though they eventually singled out like, oh no, this is the one causing the, the problem. Yeah. yeah. They were still kind of terrifying scenes. And that's the kind of atmosphere that I, in my head, I associate with more the casual horror movie goer. Yeah, and that's Movies that set up that sort of atmosphere where it's not so drilled in that some of the movies that we gravitate towards more, more like some of the character studies like Henry or something mm-hmm. that, you know, a casual would not go for and would probably fuck with a lot of them in some way. Instead, I, I feel like Conjuring, these other fucking paranormal activity and shit, right. they all just sort of make it feel like there's a vague world of things to be afraid of around you. That's why it's like, for me, it's if you like this sto- like storytelling, it's cool. It's a good story, but I don't buy into it like happening in the yeah. real world. It's like, uh, no. It's like, it's entertaining, but that's about it. all I'm getting out of it. It's like, eh. Because I typically, like Patrick Wilson. I do too. I mean, like, I have nothing against anybody involved with the film itself. As I'm getting at, it's just like, I'm beyond that point of. It's kind of like, I hate to say it because it's this time of year too, but you know, you grow up with certain beliefs, a la Santa Claus and shit like that, and then you kind of grow out of it. That's kind of how I feel about this subject matter. It's like I tend to believe in it early on because of where I grew up and the atmosphere and the fact that you're a kid and. You know, it's spooky. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, I'm like, man, if you're trying to spook me with this shit, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point. But the film as a whole was fun. I will say this. I have watched some of part two, and it's not bad. It feels a lot like this one, but with, of course, a different family. Different um, location. Two, at least, is partially their involvement with Amityville, right? Very partial. Okay. Very, very partial. Without giving they too did, much they away, they weren't yeah. too involved with it. They weren't. No, no, the, no, no, no. They weren't like the first investigators. They were somewhere a little bit. They were later like the on. second or third investigators. Yeah. They're just notable because I think because they were involved essentially. Because they were involved, and even after they were a hoax, I think they continued to say like, "No, we felt demonic presence there, or whatever." Right. I mean, if you're gonna sell it, you got to sell it all the way, mm-hmm. right? So, but yet, without spoiling too much, all I will say is that it takes place in England. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, kind of in conjunction with what was happening with Amityville at the time, too. So there's some parallels. Cool. I might check it out, knowing that it's James Wan. You know, it's what I will say, it's just from what I briefly watched, it's actually pretty good. I mean, it's not, you're going to get probably the same enjoyment. If you really enjoy this film, you're going to get the same enjoyment out of the second one just as well. I have no interest in Annabelle. Yeah, I mean, outside of curiosity's sake. interest in The Nun. This is out of curiosity's sake, I probably will watch them. But it's like, I, I know what, I kind of already know what I'm going to get, I watch man. two, there's something else that makes me more interested in Annabelle. I currently have no interest in Annabelle. <laughs> I understand, man. It's like, I, yeah, that shit doesn't really do anything for me. Puppets uh, and things, like, no, dude. What the fuck is the nun? I don't know. Well... Oh, shit, I don't want to spoil anything. If we ever cover part two, there it's... We might have to cover part two just so that I watch the goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of these things are kind of referenced from this film. Okay. And that's how they get their universe, is like the spinoff, so to speak. Yeah. The Warrenverse? <laughs> yeah. No, the Conjuringverse. Well, let's fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. No, I heard right. they were lovely people. I'm, I'm very flip-floppy on this. I heard they were lovely people. Just... I mean, they if nothing else, they'd be entertaining people to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm like, mm. yeah. 
It seemed like they truly believed. Right, right. It's like through and through, they this is this was their thing. I'm wondering how long they truly believed. Did they eventually? <laughs> did they start off truly believing, or at some point did they just start buy, buying their okay. own bullshit? All right, this is what a little bit I gleaned just from the little bit of research I did, right? From what I saw, right, is Lorraine and Ed met when they were like 17, mm-hmm. right? He went to war. Apparently, he survived some kind of attack on a, I think, like a, a liner. Okay. And he was one of like 60 odd survivors, right? But prior to that, like growing up, supposed. He was supposed to uh, had grown up in like a haunted house from the ages of five through twelve, and I think that was somewhere up in Connecticut, like Bridgeport, Connecticut, which I think some other stories spawn off of that. But long story short, famously haunted Connecticut. Yeah, long story short, she says that when she was growing up, she felt like she she could see people's lights or energies, and she knew she had a gift, like she had visions and whatnot. So. They she used got to read glasses and they were a little bit less blurry. This is this is what I found out. They said this is how it kind of like their whole investigation side started is that Ed would read stories about haunted houses and shit. And what he would do is he would find the locations, you know, cuz like the boomers say back then we didn't have the internet mm-hmm. and so you know, he had to do a little digging, but they said he would with Lorraine, they would park outside of the house and he liked to sketch, like he's a sketch artist and whatnot. So he would sketch the outside of the house, and he would get Lorraine to go up to the doorstep, knock on the door, and present whoever answered the door as like, you know, my husband drew a sketch of your house, yada yada. And what they were trying to do was work their way into the family's home so they could get the story. And then that's how it kind of started. Mm. So, you know, in a in a sly way... I wonder if those, any of those sketches still survive. Perhaps. I don't know. I'd I really be curious to see his artwork. Yeah. Well, in the second one, it, it pays a little bit more attention to detail than that, like his, his artwork. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of it's kind of neat because it sets something up, but that's all I'll say. But that's what I gleaned from it. That's like the story that was told is because he liked to learn about or, you know, read about haunted houses and whatnot. Yeah. And he was into demonology. Apparently, he claims that he was like one of... Only seven, I won't say clergy, he's non-clergy, but people who were ordained, I suppose, in demonology from the Catholic Church. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But I'm like, yeah. just because he had like a big time hobby into things and, you know, in the time period and the fervor, you know, makes sense that you can kind of get into that side of things. I guess the thing that just gets under my skin is I feel like I know too many people that continue to believe so much of this shit because you have things like this that it pop on based on a true story. Uh, and that's and the it thing only I takes like five that. minutes looking it up and you know it's not, but there's not many people that take that extra five minutes. Dude, Obviously we do or else we wouldn't, you know, be doing We're talking about podcast. this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind no, of the I know point. That, I know a lot of people that don't and they never will, but they see that based on a true story and it just... Well, that gets back to what you were saying too, like with the Upside Down Cross. It's like if you don't take five minutes to research that shit, you're going to believe that it's, it's satanic, but it's not. Right. And it's like already debunks that whole idea, that whole notion that this is satanic in the first place. If something satanic can't produce a Christian symbol, come on, man. <laughs> then how could they, you know, be producing ones to come out of people? And that's what I'm getting at. It's like it's nice 
that you can make these kind of stories out of those beliefs, but you're also kind of preying on people's fear. It's typically fear of mm-hmm. these things, the unknown, the supernatural, the paranormal. But it comes a point where it's like, uh, man, come on. Like we were saying earlier, it's, if, if this stuff were concrete, it'd be academic. I'd be taking the classes. I would love I'd to. I'd love to be a demonologist. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, that, that would open up, no puns, but a whole a whole other world, a whole new dimension. <laughs> we would start a whole new podcast. Yeah. Us fighting demons. That'd be awesome, dude. <laughs> demonologist Danny and Tyler. <laughs> there would be right. so much more porn for me to watch. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, man. That You know, stories like this, because I slapped that based on a true story thing, you're right. Like, nope, not this time. Learned my lesson a long time ago. I love the X-Files, and, these, and I want to believe, but... The stories, because that's what they are, stories, yeah. are interesting enough. You don't have to slap that on there. Yeah, exactly, you can just do man. something based on it. Yeah, you say loosely based on. I would be like, that's cool, at least you're saying loosely. Yeah, yeah, at least throw a loosely on there. <laughs> at least throw a loosely on there. That's a good point. That's all you had to do. Take the extra five minutes. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting really worked up over this. I need to smoke no, some more weed. It's fine, but I think I think this is it's interesting because I think prior to this film, as far as possession films go, do you know what we did? Can you think of what we did? Possession films? Possessions. Yeah. I know that we've done a possession, but the only one I could think of right off the top of my head is repossessed. <laughs> Fuck that. So I'm going to scroll through our list real quick. I feel like we've had it on something else that involves possession. Like spirit possessions is what I'm thinking. Spirit specifically, or demon possessions. Maybe not. Oh, shit. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, there's stuff that plays around with it, like um, the devil rides out. I think it toys around with that a little bit. But I don't know, like full-blown possessions. Vamp. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. That's kind of funny. That, that's, that's the two standard barriers we got right <laughs> Well, should we done something possession, haven't we? Like I said, nothing that really like. I don't even remember some of these films anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We've watched too many movies, man. We do watch a lot of movies, and most times high, but it, that's what makes it fun. The Shining is arguable possession. Yeah, arguable. Yeah, I could see that. But that's that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was at least two years ago, right? Idle Hands is kind of possession. Yeah. I would argue that. Comedy, though, right? So two comedies, <laughs> one based on a true story. Yeah, dude, this is hard. I'm not I'm not finding many. That's what I'm getting at. So that's like, it fits our motif, at least, if nothing else. <laughs> I mean, how many ghost stories have we done? Not that very fits many with either, us, too. right? Yeah. I mean, the one that we did do was yeah, really I good. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. That's become my favorite ghost story. Yeah, it's an easy one because it, it's not trying to take itself... Uh, a true story slant it's like it's just a well-crafted story yeah it's like what this film could have been had it not thrown that label on it or like i said loosely you have to take it all as a whole or not at all and they threw that in you gotta give me the whole thing or not at all <laughs> honestly i think this is a better movie if you just take out the fucking the text after the cold open i know don't do that i think james wan crafted a really good introduction to those characters where you kind of know what they're about at least as much as you need to know for the movie. And then they just it. introduce them all over again. Yeah, I agree, man. But, yeah, the film itself, like I said, it's entertaining. I don't buy into, like I said, the theme overall. But entertaining, nonetheless. I have watched part of the second one I've already mentioned. It's entertaining just as well as this one. But, once again, the story, I'm like, ah, I don't buy it. <laughs> 
Uh, this is about all I'll say. But yeah, outside of that, man, we have next week picked out. That's gonna be fun. So for our Christmas episode, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night, dude, going back with a classic. Maybe next year will be Santa's sleigh. We'll see. Nice. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about that next year. I have, I already have an idea for Christmas <laughs> next year. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night should be a good time. The week after that is going to be our end of year, end of decade. Wow, already. And we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we'll have on a guest. That's where, at least a guest. That's what we're planning on right now. Maybe more, maybe less. It might just be us. Uh, No promises. But in order to listen to those, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. If you could rate and review however you're listening, that would also be super, super awesome. That makes sure that you get the episodes when I put them out, basically. Yeah. And speaking about putting out episodes, you can head over, as always, to friedsquirms.com to check out all of our shit, including our back catalog. However, you can also head over to earworm.com, that's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M, or just click the links from the Fried Squirms page, and I'm on another podcast now, and so you guys can also go check me out talking about nerd shit with Zach from our Swamp Thing episode on General Nerdery, generalnerdcast.com for that, or like I said, through Earworm. We're all Earworm. (laughs) I love the Earworm. And that's where you can, I mean... There's, it's not, all. it's not going to be too long before there's more than just those two shows too, is what it's well, looking see, that's, like. That's so. the fun part, man, is like, it's, we're starting this fun network, right? Where a lot of us are involved and, uh, you know, you never know which direction it's going to take us in as far as, you know, opening up the umbrella. It's, it's going to be fun, man. So if you're curious about what we're involved in, going to earworm.com is going to be the easiest way to see more projects as they come up. Yeah. It's not there yet, but there are going to be links to like the Jafar episodes. <laughs> Heck yeah, that's um, I'm working on. I'm still working on shit on the website, nice. but it's all coming. I don't know. Some of the shit we just got to get done. I guess I don't know. Nah, this work in progress. But once again, too, like if you want to hit us up, you can hit us up over on our website, right? And you can also email us squirmcast at gmail dot com. Or you can hit us up through the social media. Yeah, we're I don't available. think I have those links set up on the website yet, but that's just as easy as searching for fried swarms across any of what you want to find us on. Yeah, we definitely on there too. But once again, if you want to give us some recommendations on some future films, if you have suggestions on like things you might want us to change up or things that we can prove upon, we're always up for that. And once again, if you got a film that needs some reviews, sometimes we're your guys for that. So let us know. For this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms out. out.